This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I guess New Year is always a, a time to start things. Um, most of people probably start things. We were with some friends, uh, a guy called Pete, he preached here on Joseph's Bones, and he, at New Year, this is, t- this is typical of him, I didn't do it at all, at New Year, he, uh, the, all his family wrote down, all their three kids, and then wrote down in envelopes what they felt they wanted to achieve in the year, and then they sealed the envelopes. And he said to me, are you not like writing any goals for the year? Are you not kind of uh, writing anything that you want to achieve? And I said, well, you know, the thing is, if you don't set any goals, you can't be disappointed, can you? <laughs> and, uh, but the thing is, I, I just am not really a goals kind of person anymore. I guess I used to be. I guess, you know, we'd let's have this and we'll grow by this. And, but in the end, I think it's much more important that we... Um, that we just do the regular things rather than set these kind of impressive goals. It's more important that we just keep going. I think keeping going is easier, it's harder than starting something, isn't it? Starting something is quite easy. So I, so I don't know if you've started the Essential 100. Um, I, by the way, I didn't write the verses. They are in the Bible. Uh, I didn't even find it. Tim Bowman found it for me. All I did is just stick our logo on the back and printed it onto card. Uh, but, you know, I'll take the credit, that's all good. But if you've started that, you're probably on day four now and you're doing really, really well. The challenge is to keep going, isn't it? The challenge is to keep going. That's why we have uh, Bible readings with five, five readings and then two spaces, because we know that actually <clears throat> once you start to get behind, once things don't go as quick as you want, you start to lose heart. We want to keep going. So it's so important uh, to keep going. Um, but, you know, sometimes... And it's easy to downscale it and quietly forget goals. So that's the thing about goals. You can set these massive goals and actually when they don't happen, you can downscale it and just forget about them. But I think it's much more important for us to uh, to keep going. So I was thinking about keeping going and I read this uh, blog uh, about keeping going and it mentioned unfinished buildings. So I saw a picture of this building. I looked up this picture of this building. It's actually uh, the... Uh, uh, cathedral in Siena. I haven't been there. Some of you may have done. I know you get to go on those nice holidays. Uh, it, the, the building in Siena, and it, and it was built in around the 13th century. And obviously, it's well, lovely carvings, gates, etc. And um, they built the cathedral, and they they kind of extended the cathedral. And while they were extending the cathedral, the Black Death came, um, and uh, kind of wiped out a load of people in the town, and they kind of shelved their grand plans for this uh, cathedral. So there is a bit of a cathedral there with a the nice dome and stuff, but actually there's also um, a bit of it that's half finished. And uh, this is what it looks like on the other side. <laughs> 
Not quite the same facade. I couldn't find a picture of that front. But, but basically what they did is they started to build this grand cathedral and in the end they kind of gave up. They run out of steam, they run out of people, they run out of money. And by the time that the economy had kind of recovered, they forgot it. And I, and I, I kind of reflected on that and I thought it's interesting to, to keep going. You know, Jesus loves us to start things, he loves to take initiative, and we want to be doing that. But actually, keeping going is really important. In fact, Jesus mentions this. This is not the passage I'm going to preach from. It just came to me as I was thinking about the introduction. Jesus says this about keeping going. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if they have enough money to complete it? So if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying... This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And then he gives another example about going to war. And then he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up, uh, sorry, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And he's talking about, let's keep going. This is going to cost you. And I think one of the challenges of, of, of church is that we can start, but it's hard to keep going. Uh, again, uh, Mark Bailey, who leads Trinity, I remember chatting to him about kind of how has it been over the years he's been there, and he said, you know, churches don't get built in in a weekend or a conference. They don't even get built in a, a year or two. They get built in decades. It takes a long time and a lot of commitment to to build. And I, I thought I want to talk about sort of keeping going. I want to talk about building and keeping going. Because God is not in the business of half-hearted or half-finished. He's not in the business of saying, well, let's just lay a foundation and then, and then finish. Let's just get a foundation in at God first and then it's done. I, as I look around, I think we've got a really good foundation. We've kind of dug some holes. We've kind of slightly appeared off the ground. If you go to a building site, obviously Tom's now has taken full shape. It's not yet fully done. We're waiting for the party where you invite us all. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but, but you know, you start with foundations, you see a few bricks and gradually it rises above the ground and it doesn't look very impressive. Obviously the guys in Siena thought, well we don't want to do that, let's just build the facade. So what you get is you get this, whoa, very impressive facade, you know, God first website, very impressive. But behind we don't just want it to be an empty car park, do we? We want to have something more, something uh, deeper than just uh, a facade. And I think it's interesting that, that the, the, Peter, Paul says in one, Philippians 1.6, uh, he says, he, you might be able to finish it, he who began a good work, how's it go? Will continue it until complete it and continue it to the day of Jesus. In other words, God starts and completes. He begins and finishes. And in fact, you know, you do these tests, don't you? Some people are starters initiators and some people are completer finishers. The truth is there's a lot more starters than completer finishers. If you're a completer finisher, you're highly sought after in the marketplace because you actually get jobs done. You know, people like myself and Paul, who like to start things, you know, we're not so well sought of. Yeah, good ideas are ten a penny. Actually making it happen. <laughs> That's not a dig at you, Paul. I'm in the same boat. You know, and the reality is it's easy to talk it's even quite easy to get started. What is hard is to keep going. It's easy to say, stand at the front, I don't want to pick on you. I got some grief for picking on Andy, by the way, at his wedding, because some friends didn't know, actually, that some friends of his didn't know we were friends. 
That was horrible to you. Uh, but it's easy, it's easy to stand there and get all the preparations and say, I do. It's a lot harder to keep going. Yeah, Vic's at the back hiding away, but she, it's a reality. You know, the reality has hit. Andy and Vic still got that big smile on their face from honeymoon, etc. But the reality is that you've got to live it, you've got to keep going. It's not about just a weekend. Some of the things about, I'm going to, I'm going to do a series of marriage, uh, but one of the things is that people think it's just about the event to start. Yes, so getting going. And so God who began a good work is going to keep it going. He's going to complete it. And the only other time you hear this uh, began a good work, you hear it in Nehemiah. Uh, now, does anybody know what Nehemiah's up to? It's in the Old Testament. He's building what? He's building the walls of Jerusalem. And he, he says, we've begun a good work. I'm not stopping. I've got, begun a good work. I'm not coming down from the walls and getting distracted. And it's interesting, if you look around the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra's a priest, Nehemiah's the kind of leader, and the prophetic books of Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, at the back of the Old Testament, they're all about what do you do if, you're gonna to, if you've started and you need to keep going. Uh, the, the, the word that Tara brought is about we live between the already and the not yet. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is lived in the not quite completed situation. I don't think anybody ever sits down and says it's all done. Nobody ever sits down and says all the lost people are reached, all the communities are built, all the disciples are made, every nation's done. The only one who's ever going to do, announce that is Jesus who's going to come back and say it's all done. But in the meantime, we live in this kind of halfway between. And so I turn, I wanted to, to go to a passage that I really love uh, in Zechariah 8, which is in this time of kind of started the, but not finished. And I want to just pull out some, some points from that. And I've already talked for 10 minutes in Mentor, so that puts pressure on all of you. Right, so let's, um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Zechariah chapter 8. If you haven't, it should come up here. I've taken out a couple of verses, not because I'm trying to twist scripture, but just because I realize it's a long chapter. So let's read away. So this is Zechariah, he's a priest, God speaks to him, gives him a prophetic insight. Again the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. Does anybody know what Zion is? It's the hill where the temple is built. But actually, uh, we talked about this previously, it's actually... uh, in, uh, in the New Testament, Zion is a picture of the church. The temple, Jerusalem, Zion is a picture of the church. So although he's speaking to uh, people who are physically building a building in Jerusalem, not the one we see now, that was built by the Arabs, or the one before that, but the one before that, the, a building that sat on there, the second temple, and they're building that. And, and God says, I am very jealous about this. I'm burning with jealousy for Zion, for, for the church. This is what the Lord says, I'll return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age, married for 50 years, brackets, close brackets, will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty said. It may, it may seem marvellous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvellous to me? It's a rhetorical question, declares the Lord. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid, was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. And then verse 12. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of these people. As you have been an object of cursing or despising among the nations, O Judah and Israel, I will save you and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, let your hands be strong. Same thing again. Now I've determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judea. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render uh, truth and sound judgment in your court. Do not pl- plot evil against your neighbour and do not swear falsely. I hear all this, declares the Lord Almighty. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty said. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, uh, seventh and tenth month will be joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many people and inhabitants of many cities will come, will yet come and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord or pray to the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to pray to him. Then finally it finishes with this brilliant promise. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we've heard that God is with you. Let's pray. Long passage, but let's pray. Father, we just pray as we look at this prophetic encouragement from Zechariah. I pray that you would help us to understand the situation we're in, to discern the time we're in. Just like them, we've made a start, but yet so much to do. I pray that we'd understand that you are more committed, more jealous, more determined to see your church not just God first, but your church built in the nations. Lord, that you're determined to bring every nation uh, to be blessed by Jesus through his church. So we just pray, Lord, that we'd get caught up again in this prophetic picture of your church and that we would make our hands strong and that we'd have faith to believe that you are going to do amazing things with us. Amen. Okay, so my first point is God's consuming passion. You can tell a lot by a person by their passions. You can tell a lot by their father, by the kids' passions. I remember one time, uh, some years ago, when Zach was in primary school, they asked him what he was into. This is, he was five years old. He said, rugby and curry. Oh, no, beer, rugby and curry. You know? And I thought, well, obviously, he's got that from Naomi. <laughs> you know, and you can tell about what, what our, our passions are about. Because it actually affects our diaries, it affects our wallets, it affects our, the things we do with our time, the interaction. You can tell what's important by 
uh, people's passions. We're, you know, if our passion is, society's passions are about pleasure or treasure, about our image, our attainments, our possessions, our comforts, that's what everybody runs after. Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who run after all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God. That you can tell by people's obsessions what they talk about. So, what does God love? What's God passionate about? Clearly, the Father loves the Son, and the Son uh, loves the Father in the Spirit. In the uh, but, but what is what is He passionate about? We get it here in the in the beginning of Zechariah eight verse two. It says, "I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her." What does that word jealousy mean? Because we see it as a negative word, don't we? Jealousy. But if you're married. Uh, you're very jealous that your wife does not go with somebody else. Your attention, your passion is about her. In other words, so this word jealousy is not like a controlling negative word. It's about saying, I am passionately committed to this. And he is passionately committed to his people. He's passionately committed to his church. God is saying, the consuming focus of my attention is my church. What happens to her is of deepest concern to me. If she gives herself to another, it grieves me. We were reading about Noah and the flood. And actually it says, and the people of God gave themselves to other things and it said it pained God. It pained God. Because he loves us and when love is rejected, it pains him. And he's, he doesn't want us to give ourselves to anyone else. He's not half-hearted, take it or leave it, about his church. Jesus says, zeal for your house, what? Consumes me. It means it eats him up. It's kind of like this passionate thing. And when you're first in love, and I hope some of you have been married for 50 years, thank you, John. If you've been married for 50 years, there should be this burning love within you. Yeah? But that first moment, uh, it it kind of eats you up. If you feel it's not going to happen... You you kind of get that, oh dear, she doesn't love me, and all that kind of... Obviously, none of you have ever been rejected, but I feel the pain. You know, and there's a sense where it consumes you. It's about what your time and your energy... If you're trying to get a a relationship together, you should be, blokes, little tip here, you should be thinking, planning, what can I do, where can we go, what we're going to do. And it should consume you. And, And God is consumed... With his church, there's something inside him, there's something with inside him that, that, that's passionately committed to his church. He's passionately committed to us, his people. He, it says, Jesus loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. He died on the cross for us. He's not half-hearted about us. Or slightly, yes, take it or leave it about us. Now, don't misunderstand, church isn't just about coming on Sunday. But Jesus is committed to the community of God's people. He's absolutely passionate about it. The cross is not just some legal transaction where we say, right, well, you're forgiven and now you can go to heaven when you die. No, the cross is about forgiving our sins so he can draw us into community. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you. And God is passionate about the church. He wants to be with us. The reason why he's dealing with our sin is not so that he can kind of keep his hands clean and say, aren't I a holy God? The reason why he's dealing with our sin is so that a holy God can embrace us. He wants to be with us. It says it in this passage. It says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. God wants to be with us. He wants to be 
encounters. He wants to be close to us. He wants to, to be Emmanuel, God with us. God's excited about building his church. In fact, he asks a question in this passage, talking about our levels of, as it were, of excitement about his people. He asks a question and compares his levels of excitement with ours. It says, it may seem marvellous to the people at that time, but will it seem marvellous to me? He's asking her a question. So when God does something amazing to build his church, uh, what's our reaction? It may be exciting. It may seem marvellous to us. I may be quite happy about it. What is God's... What's implicit in this question? Will it seem marvellous to God? Yeah, he's not bored about it. He's not take it or leave it or half-hearted about it. He's not saying, oh, well, I don't really care what happens. So if you feel, if, if we get a visitor on a Sunday morning or somebody becomes a Christian, that feels marvellous to me. God isn't saying, well, I really couldn't give a monkey. There's plenty of churches. I'm rather bored with the whole thing. Goodness me, can't we just have them all in one big church and forget. No, he's not. He's absolutely committed, passionately committed about us. He wants us to be successful. The, the bottom line is if I forget, if we forget that God isn't absolutely burning with passion and energy for us to win, we'll never win. If we look around and say, well, what have we got? What resources have we got? We'll never get it done. But if we look upwards, as I prayed, and say, God, you're committed and determined to see the the church built. Even when society is saying no to the church, even when everybody's pressing against the church, even when, you know, we get the stats from the census saying, no, no one's a Christian anymore, nobody goes to church anymore, God does not think, well, that doesn't matter. He's not interested in building Christendom, by the way. He's interested in building a people of faith. And he's passionate about it. He has not abandoned his project. He's not abandoned it. So one of the things I, why we have prayer, and I, want to, I forgot to say, on Wednesday, I'd love you to fast with me. That means go without food. But you can fast something else if you want, if you can't uh, go without food. Go without something and say, look, this matters to me. This really matters to me. Not that we just get more numbers. You know, we don't want to be a church with a nice facade and a big car park. I know churches like that. What we want to be is a church that's actually fully demonstrating what it is to be God. And we need to be committed about that. If you want to go to a church where it's just a car park and a nice facade, there's, there's plenty of those around. Well, there's not that many around, but there's, 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 there's churches like that around. But we don't want to do that. We want to be absolutely committed. We want to say, I want to pray about that. It says about God, doesn't it? It says... God, it says in this passage, he is faithful to us. It says, I will be faithful to them. What does that mean? He's never going to quit on us. It says, I will de- I've determined to do them good. He's absolutely determined to bless us. We need to understand that. As we're in between this kind of getting started and getting finished, we need to de- be discern- de- understand that God's determined to bless us. Second one, need to rush. How is he going to do that? What does God have in his mind when he wants a church? He's talking about a family of disciples. It's interesting. He's not talk- Although they're building bricks and mortar, at this point, there's elsewhere in the Bible, he gives them directions about the bricks and mortar, what to put, what to paint, whatever. But at this point, he's not talking about bricks and mortar. He talks about family. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Obviously, it's Mediterranean climate. You couldn't really do that in Cheltenham. But you, I suppose you can a couple of days a year. Men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. 
God's interested in family. He's interested in young and old. This is a picture of diversity. This is a picture of different people from different backgrounds, young and old. You know, young people can say, oh, for goodness sake, think about old people. They just go on with the same old stories. They don't like the loud music. It's, oh, I wish they'd just stop saying it was brilliant in my day. And then the old people say, you know, the young people, they're just so self-obsessed. They just like loud music. They're just really not bothered. They're not committed like we are. And that's the world, isn't it? But actually, the God's churches know the streets of Jerusalem are young and old, black and white, rich and poor, different ethnic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, different social backgrounds coming together to be family. The thing that we're challenged with is, is family is incredibly atomized. You know what I mean by that? Broken into small pieces. I heard a thing on the radio that's saying that most families now don't ever connect at all. They connect around a so the TV, so our family is frustratingly atomized. <coughs> so if you catch us on an unguarded moment, there's one person on the iPad, one person on a laptop, another person on another laptop, one person on the TV, one person on the phone, one person on the Xbox. Yeah, and that's it. And then we get them off the Xbox and they all move around. <laughs> and that's not how it should be. There's no sense of shared experience. There's no sense of togetherness. Even shared meals, and I've said this before, have been lost. Families break up as well, so it's not even that within the family it's all atomized. Families break up more and more. Houses are needed because more and more families are now, were one and now two. And, and, and family, and, and families lose connection with each other. So, so the nuclear family, that doesn't mean you run on nuclear energy. You know, the family of two adults, two kids, or 1.8 kids is now it's been detached from the wider family. So perhaps the only time you might get together with your wider family is maybe at Christmas. And we do that extended family thing at Christmas, but most of the time it's all atomized and small. But God doesn't want us to be detached. So we need to keep caring for our blood family. It says care for the widows and the orphans. We need to keep caring for our blood family, but also we need to be committed to this family. We don't want to be atomized in this family. I used to go to a church where people used to, big massive building, seated 1500, people used to sit all separated. I've said this before. And that's why I like you to sit together. Because I want to say, look, we're together. We're together. We're not separate. We're not atomized. Me and my car, you know, I drive in behind the facade, park my car. No, we're committed. Lives shared together. And so, because God is a family. God is a community of shared life together and we need to do that. And so what we do is we call those families G1 communities. You know that if you've been around. So we at the moment we've got one in the west, one in the north and one in central. We're hoping to have them in the east, all over. We're going to have them locally, everywhere. That's the plan. But G1 communities are everyday churches. Small enough that everybody can know each other. Large enough to have real friendships different friendships you can find we should find ourselves not creating a meeting but creating life together now that's difficult it's not going to be easy to create life together but that's where we're pushing towards it's not that we find ourselves hanging out over meals and chores in the everyday rhythms of life learning to i've written this this is from the website learning to play and pray and laugh and cry and listen and study and reach out together now i've got a video clip I've just got a video clip that I showed to the G1C leaders, which actually is from a church where Johnny Woodrow, do you remember he came? A guy from uh, Loughborough came. But this is a, an equivalent church in Sheffield. 
And I just want to show this. It lasts five or six minutes, which means I'll, I'll be losing some time. But I just want to show you that. And I just, that's what we're, we're trying to sort of get it to look a little bit like this. They've been going much longer than us, so just grab a look. But some of that <coughs> probably looks a bit like what we're trying to do, doesn't it? Lots of eating, lots of washing up, hopefully kind of in the Bible together, hopefully sharing life, hopefully getting out together. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a family uh, together on, on mission. And uh, sometimes it actually... Uh, in Zechariah, it tells you, it gives you some how you can move this on from just eating. I'm aware that our, mission, our gospel communities just can eat, but we need to move it to the next level, not just not eating. But I want to think that things in Zechariah eight. It says, "Speak the truth to each other, truth to each other." And I think one of the things that's really important uh, and that, that that takes a bit of risk is to to take off your mask and actually say, "This is who I really am." This is what I'm really about. Now, that doesn't mean just when we're doing badly. It also means when we're doing well, the things we celebrate, the things we're excited about. This is my birthday. This is what I've done well. Or this is, I'm really enjoying that. And we don't think, oh, you're bragging. And equally, when we say, look, it's been tough, it's been difficult, there's, there's sickness or there's uh, you know, financial challenges, whatever, we need to be able to take our mask off and say, this is me. This is what I'm like. Uh, and we need to risk openness, and we need to respond when people risk openness, not with, oh, for goodness sake, shut up, or even our attitude, our body language, we need to listen, we need to be engaged, we need to trust each other. Uh, but the thing is, speaking the truth isn't, it can mean that we just become each other's saviours. That actually, I've got someone who really cares for me and really loves me and really for me and listens to me and understands my vulnerabilities and challenges, my good moments, and we can become each other's saviors. And, that, and it's important that we do do that. But actually, the, the ultimate thing is that we want to point people to Jesus. We want to uh, point people to being followers of Jesus. So it says in uh, Zechariah 8, it says, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty be called the Holy Mountain. This kind of sense of truth is when God's around, there is truth. It's not just we be honest with each other, but actually there's an openness and truth uh, around the Bible. We call this gospeling. So in other words, we need to be a sight to people that actually this is how it is. This is how we're living. This is what we're doing. So that when somebody um, says something, uh, for example, if somebody says, you know, I... Uh, well, what's them? You're in a conversation, constant conversation, and uh, somebody just is constantly saying, I- "I'm struggling with with debt issues." Yeah. Now, the ch- the normal thing in society is you wouldn't say anything, but when you're in a, a, a gospel community, the challenge is to say, "Let's talk about that." Now, it may be that they've lost their job, and it may be that there's just the pressure of a credit crunch or financial hardship, and people with money could, you know. They don't have a debt problem, but people without struggling with debt. But actually, behind that, there might be all sorts of different things. There might be foolish use of credit cards. There might be uh, wrong approaches to different things. And you want to say, actually, guys, we want to trust God. We want to trust God, not trust our money. Or whatever it is. That's just an example. And we, we, we gospel each other. We say, actually, what are you trusting? Are you believing that if you've got more money, if you've got more money, if you've got more money, that you'll be happy? I mean, Jesus says life doesn't consist of the abundance of things. Now, things are helpful and it's handy to have stuff. But actually, if all we're doing is chasing stuff, then the chances are we're going to get in debt and the chances are we're not chasing Jesus. So we've got to challenge that. Now, sometimes that's hard to do that over the washing up in a mission community, a gospel community, but we can do that. But sometimes we, do that, we can do that in our threes. And I would encourage you, if you're not in a three, to get in a three. 
Again, just restating what we do. These small, small groups of disciples share life together. This put the net, I think we've got a little acrostic for it. Basically, the acrostic is three. It stands for time together, about once or twice, once or twice a fortnight. Honesty, that's just saying this is who I am. Confession, accountability. Reading, reading the same Bible stuff together encouraging, you're doing well, this is what's happening, talking to us, and eating together, sharing real life. I mean, there's other things in there, but that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to say, look, let's get beyond the level of just chat, have fun, play Jenga, play whatever Connect Four they were playing, and get beyond that and say, hey, this is who I am. And we, so we need to speak truth to each other. And we want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to get in threes. There's no extra fixes, no extra program we've got here. This is let's, let's share life together. Let's meet, make it more than a meeting. Let's get in threes. Let's disciple each other. Let's challenge each other. And when you challenge each other, if somebody says, you know, I struggle with this problem, you don't just say, oh yeah, that's, we still love you anyway. You do say that. But the aim is for you to change. It's been said this morning a couple of times, the aim is for you to be different, to be free, to be set free. I'll keep you accountable. Why do you do that? Let's talk about it. Let's look at the Bible together. Let's get free. Let's get healthy. Let's get strong. That's what discipleship is all about. Third thing is we want to be together on a mission. Uh, Zechariah 8 says this. It says, I will save you and you will be a blessing. Does anybody know who, who God says, which individual God says in the Old Testament, I will bless you so that you can bless the nations? Does anybody know which indiv- individual? Abraham, yeah. So there's a hint there that the, there's, a, there's a family right at the start of the Jewish nation. You know, it became institutionalized, but it was a family right at the start. Abraham and his wife couldn't have any kids. says, so you're going to have a kid, you're going to have, a, and, uh, gonna have a, uh, an offspring. And from that one, you're going to have so many, the stars of the sky, and one of your offspring is going to bless the whole world. Who do we, who's that offspring? Two of them. Jesus, who's the true and better Isaac. So actually there's a, a hint there that God wants to bless us so that we can bless the nations, so that we can bless things. And, and, and God says, he says this, verse 20, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let's go up once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. Many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty. God wants the church to bless the world. So we need to bless our little bit here. He wants to bless us so that we can make a difference around in the streets and houses around where we live and in the town we live and to bless this nation. But he wants, he's got, God's plan is to do that right across the nation. So it's great to have that, the uh, Simon and Becky from, from Cambodia saying what they're going to do. It's been great to have wine. It was in South Africa. We, we're committed to, to blessing all the nations. It's, and so I want to do that. But actually, he, he also, Zachariah drills down this mission stuff. So so he says this, the seed will grow well, verse 12, the seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, fruit, the ground will produce crops and the heavens will drop their dew. It's the language of what? Agriculture. And when you first church plant, um, you you tend to be a hunter-gatherer when it comes to reaching out. Do you know, anyone will tell me what a hunter-gatherer is? They pick berries when they're in fruit and season and they hunt things and eat. You know, they, and they, so they follow the prey around, don't they? There's herds of wildebeest sweeping across the plain, to quote, uh, faulty towers. You know, there's lo- you, and you follow them around. You're a nomad. You follow them around. And, but, and those kind of nomadic peoples were always small. 
And church plants, that's what it's a bit like at the beginning. When we're trying to reach out to people, we're trying to, there's some berries there, there's some fruit there, we see an opportunity there, we see something there, and we kind of hunter and gatherers, if you understand the metaphor, yeah? But actually, this is the language of settled agriculture. It says, you know, the seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit. There's a difference between just grabbing the opportunities when they come, and we still want to keep doing that, to actually saying, right, we're going to intentionally now doing a bit of har- a bit of agriculture. We're going to do a bit of sowing and reaping. So when you start agriculture, what do you do? Uh, is you, you, you choose a place. So this is going to be my land. This is my plot of land. I'm going to work that. You're going to plough it up. You throw out the stones. You clear out the weeds. You clear out the rubbish. And then you, <coughs> you sow seed. And then you cover it over. Then you fertilise it. And you water it. And you pray for dew from heaven, which is another way for saying God's blessing or God's spirit on it. And after a time, you see a harvest. And, that, and there's an intentionality about farming. There's a, there's a sense of we'll start something and we'll, we'll let it go through a season and we'll see it. And I think it's time for us this year to, to move, not completely abandon hunter-gathering. There's an opportunity, a little conversation here, something happened here, like we see in our G1C uh, reports. But actually, there's a sense where no, we're going to really start to say, let's focus on some intentional stuff. And I don't think you can, you can do that. You know, what you're going to grow... What, what crops, what land, you're going to have to pray about that. So in, in one sense, you need to think, well, who am I going to reach? So it's interesting, one little picture showed a row of terrace houses in the video and then a mosque that Johnny Woodrow's community in Loughborough, not Sheffield, have determined to reach just British Asians. That doesn't mean that they don't do any spontaneous hunter-gathering stuff around, but they've said intentionally, we're going to, we're going to work with British Asians. We sow the, uh, we're going to plough the field, sow the gospel of love and grace and transformed lives, and believe that we're going to see some, some salvation. Now, they've been at it for five years, and they've seen one person become a Christian. So it's, you can feel, well, hunter-gathering is a lot easier. We'll just grab the opportunity to come. But I want to encourage you, G1Cs, I want to encourage you, let's try and reorientate ourselves to think who we're going to reach. Who? We need to ask these questions, don't we? Who? What? How? Where? How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? So you should be able to move forward this year as you start as a G1C after a week of prayer. You should start to, let's pray. God, what do you really want us to do this year? There's a group in uh, Seattle called SOMA, which means body, a church called Soma, and they, at the beginning of each year, they get their, their gospel committees pray, God, what do you want us to do? What are we going to do? So it's not just we eat. You know, it's that we share life. And it's not just that we share life together, but actually we say, God, help us to reach out. I know that all of you guys are absolutely committed to doing that, but we're just not that good at knowing where to go, what to do, are we? So let's pray, God, give us some ideas. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You know, there's, that, that, as Jesus says, the fields are white unto the harvest, but the labourers are few. We need to say, well, where are we going to go? Are we going to do older people, younger people, detached youth work? Some of it will look like a project. Some of it might look, just look like you play football together or you've got the same bunch of guys and you're intentionally working there. But you know who it is and you're praying and committed. We need to do that together. We, we need to all do that. And then God promises, doesn't he? He says, the seed will grow. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops. That There's a sense where actually God's going to do something. That, but we need to be intentional. It's going to take time. But there's also another dynamic, racing now. There's another dynamic which actually I kind of find a bit easier. Because the intentional, let's work, let's grow, let's 
take some time, let's build some relationships, let's see a little win. I was talking to a couple um, Thursday and you know, they, they've been praying and working with this particular uh, individual for ages and they've just seen a little kind of win. Nothing that would make the front page of a Christian website or magazine or book chapter, but just a little win. Seeing God just change that person's life just a little bit. And we need to be in for the long haul and that's what agriculture is about. Settled agriculture, it's about saying, no, we commit to the long haul. But there's another, there's another side to it, which I, I really love. It says, uh, verse 23, it says, In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we've heard that God is with you. Don't we like that? Because that kind of fits with, we're just this people of God and people say, I want to join you. And we are committed to that. It's in, it, you know, it was in the video clip. I think it's God's, pattern. We go and do settled agriculture, we go and live out in a community, but I believe that when we do it right, when we are community together, when we are committed people of Jesus, I believe that people do say to us, hey there's something about you. In fact, I didn't prompt Sophie to say what she said about our G1C update, but there is that. There's a sense where you're facing this challenge, but yet there's something different about you. And I believe that. It's that when God is with you, it could be in a meeting, it could be in worship, it could be with prophetic words, it could be those things. God is here. We talked about that in Corinthians. But it could also be, do you know there's something about your life? There's something about your friendships. There's something about the way you connect. There's something about the way you support each other. There's something about the way you reach out that actually is really attractive. And it's not a marketing strategy. It's actually, that's what it's like when God's life is in you. And I've had that at times, where people have said, you know, there's something different about you. Not in a nasty kind of way, there's plenty of you said that. But in a nice way, God's with you. And we want that. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for those connections, those moments where, you know, we're out on the street, a street pastor. We're out on the street as a street pastor and, you know, there's something different about you guys. We're out together, playing netball, whatever we're doing intentionally and say there's something different about you and I believe that God wants to do that with us when we live out the gospel and share life together in such a way that God's life and love overflows beyond the church people are attracted to that even though the world is saying people aren't that is and it's being a community together and reaching out are intertwined and I believe that if we get it right it's not let's get community and then do mission but as we do it together I believe that we can we can be this attractive community. Finishing here, we'll just last a short point. So my last point is, well, let's, let's build. Be strong and build. It's about three years, it's just over three years ago that there were six of us, seven of us, eight of us, I don't know, it was difficult to know when, when we were different numbers, I didn't really keep. But, you know, Naomi and I and the kids moved, and then a couple of people moved straight away and then a couple, another couple joined and then one or two people moved in from different places. I'm not going to mention it because I always get criticised for missing people out. But you know, we were about, if you looked around the room with kids, we were about 15. And there's probably six or seven kids in that. And we moved to Hester's Way just over two years ago. And we, we went to about 25. And we moved here and there was about maybe 35 of us. We had a big burst. We're up to about 70. And we dropped a little bit to about 50. But you've got to think, man, God has done some good stuff. But actually, all that we've got right now, honestly, I'm not criticizing it, all we've got right now is the foundation. All we've got is the foundation. 
That's why I'm saying foundation stuff. Let's love each other. Let's share life. Let's be missional. Let's have God in the mix. It's just a foundation. If we want to build something on it, we need to build on this foundation. And I think it's interesting that Zechariah says this to them. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says to you. It's what the Lord Almighty says to you, God, first. You who were there when the foundation was laid, that would be all of you. Yeah? If you're a visitor today, you're part of that. If you want to say, if this, is, this is my church, you're part of the foundation lane group. You're not here to consume the building, park your car, enjoy the facade. No, we're here at the foundation stage. It's muddy, it's dirty. We're trying to get it straight. We're, trying to, we're at that foundation lane stage. And what does, what does God say to them? He says, you who were here when the foundation was laid, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. I believe this is a time for commitment. It's not a time for weak or half-hearted hands. It's, you know, most of our, our hands in our culture are for taking. Hands are for consuming. Hands are for grabbing. Hands are for saying mine. But God exhorts us to have strong hands and to be serving, to be loving, to be giving, to be building. Most of the churches, as I said, in the UK can be like that facade in Vienna, in Siena. But we're saying right now, let's get some facade up, but let's fill the inside with authentic, biblical Christianity. And it's going to cost you. And when a difficult time comes, I have observed last term, it wasn't the Siena Black Death, but we've had challenges and difficulties and things that you think set us back. We've had people leave. We've had death and sickness and challenges. And it's like, let's just be like the people of Siena. Let's just abandon it because it's too much effort. What I want to do is this week of prayer, this term, this year to say, guys, we have just got started. We've just got started, but God's committed for it. He's burning with passion and zeal to get it done. And he's not necessarily going to get it done in a year. We all want it done next week, you know, but God's not necessarily going to get it done in a year. He wants to do it with us. He says, be strong. Be a family of disciples together on a mission. Let's build. I believe there's nothing more that I can offer you than what Churchill offered, which was what? Blood, sweat and tears. Oh, that's not very exciting. But God's with us. Blood, sweat and tears. That's what we're going to work hard. Fight for every win. Fight for every yes for the alpha male. Fight for every person who's... Uh, every situation where we say we're going to be re- missional. Fight to be open on this. Fight to say we're going to be opening our Bibles and being real with each other. That, that's, that's all we'll offer. And if we're still here 20 years from now and the church is massive... That's still what we're going to offer. Because this, that's, that's the cruciform life. That's the, if anybody wants to build a tower, let him first count the cost. Because if he only gets the foundations, people are going to say, don't be so foolish. And Jesus says, if you will leave everything, you can be my disciple. So I'm calling you to give everything to get this done. Not because we want to build God first and new frontiers, but because we say, God, we share your jealous passion to build the church. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.